It's 8pm, Tuesday, November the 12th, 2019, and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Good evening everyone and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on this evening's programme we're going to visit the Flying Boats Museum in Foynes to meet Caroline Horgan to find out about the museum's culinary connections, the Maureen O'Hara exhibition and plans for 2020. And on a trip to Cork I meet Aoife Dean, a registered dietitian who has a great message for us all in the run-up to Christmas. But before we hear from Caroline and Aoife, let me tell you how to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can make contact by emailing s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. And I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So the Foynes Flying Boat Museum in County Limerick is one of our tourist highlights here with the facilities enjoyed by tourists and locals alike. I paid a visit last week to meet Caroline Horgan who shared details of the current facilities which include a wonderful exhibition of Maureen O'Hara memorabilia and plans for 2020. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. My name is Caroline Horgan and I work in the Fines Flying Boat and Maritime Museum in Fines in County Limerick. The museum is situated in the original terminal building and it was the first international airport in Ireland and it goes back to the flying boat days and flying boats were in operation before land planes came into operation. So all this took place between 1939 and 1945 and the flying boats used land on the River Shannon across the water here and the museum was officially opened in 1989 by Maureen O'Hara and the connection there was Maureen O'Hara's husband was Charlie Blair and Charlie Blair was one of the many pilots who's, who used fly the flying boats in and out of Foynes. And Maureen O'Hara ended up to be the patron of the museum and she was the patron of the museum right up until her death in 2015. She used to come to Fines each year to celebrate her birthday and she used to also come to celebrate the Irish coffee festivals. And we'll talk about the coffee festival in a minute and the connections with the museum and Foynes and the the Irish coffee. But before we get into that, Maureen O'Hara has a very special place here in the museum, even though she has passed away. And that's to do with a collection of her personal belongings that have come into the, the museum's possession. Absolutely. So as I said, Maureen was the patron of the museum and a very close friend to our museum director, Margaret O'Shaughnessy. And after Maureen's passing her grandson Connor Beaufort Simons phoned Margaret and asked her would she be interested in taking a few of Maureen's items and Margaret said yes and of course that followed on with container loads of Maureen's belongings coming to the museum so it was a huge benefit to have all of Maureen's memorabilia here at the museum and container loads of her gowns from her Hollywood days, uh, memorabilia, gloves, shoes, 
even her jacket from The Quiet Men. So we've an awful lot of iconic things from out throughout her film career, you know. So we're very, very lucky to have that. And we have them displayed in an exhibition room on our first floor. And we also have a new wing being built at the moment to um, house all of Maureen's memorabilia. Because what's on display at the moment is only a small portion of what you actually have. That's right, it's just a small example of what we have and as I said you can see the jacket from the Quiet Man movie her Oscars on display she was a beautiful singer as well so there's many albums on display there and there's John Wayne medals there's a letter from President Ronald Reagan sending her good thoughts on her birthday and some items from her film days as well, including a beautiful gown that she wore in the movie Spencer's Mountain. In terms of the visitors that come and the international visitors, are they really blown away by what you have here, not only to do with Maureen O'Hara, but the aviation? Absolutely. A lot of our have. visitors are huge aviation enthusiasts, but like that now it's lovely to have that marriage of aviation and Hollywood and that comes from Charlie Blair and Maureen O'Hara and of course she is a um, huge uh, film icon and lots of people come to view Maureen's clothes now so absolutely And you have a flying boat here that people can actually go into which it's really mind blowing the layout of it compared to what an aeroplane's like today That's right, we have a full scale replica of the uh, Pan American B314 Clipper and you can go on board that clipper and see exactly how it was laid out so it's exactly a replica and it was um, built off the plans from Boeing of the Pan American Clipper so it's fully laid out there's a honeymoon suite you can go up into the cockpit the little radio room and uh, see the whole seats and how they were laid out The experience here is so diverse that it really is appealing to young and old so young kids running in around that aeroplane they they must be fascinated by it I know I, I'm fascinated by it Absolutely yeah and there's huge interest and as you said it is for our young and old and our young children our young visitors that come here they love our little children's room that we have on our ground floor and there's flight simulators you get to shake hands with the pilot and of course we have a monthly art competition that runs throughout the summertime and where the kids can draw their own flying boat so it's very very enthusiastic for them. Now you mentioned earlier about the Irish coffee and Irish coffee was born in Foynes and that was thanks to a County Tyrone man so I have to get the Northern Ireland connection in there so tell us about Joe Sheridan So Joe Sheridan was a chef and he worked for O'Regan's restaurant he worked for for Brendan O'Regan in O'Regan's restaurant and you're right Irish coffee was born here in Foynes and it was invented by a man called Chef Joe Sheridan and yes Chef Joe Sheridan was a Tyrone man and he worked for Brendan O'Regan and one night a passenger flight had to to return to base on account of bad weather and the weary passengers came off the flying boat and all the staff were brought back into O'Regan's restaurant and Chef Joe Sheridan was there to warm those weary passengers and what he did was he made them coffee and he put some whiskey into it to warm them up and they tasted it and they asked oh my goodness is that Brazilian coffee and he said no that's Irish coffee and hence Irish coffee was born and it isn't, isn't it amazing the way it has spanned the globe now and there's a certain way to make it that is a genuine way to make it, an authentic way to make it and that's what the festival really celebrated every year and 
as far as you're concerned, it must be with Powers Whiskey. So just tell us about how to make a proper, genuine Irish coffee. Well, Sharon, we would much rather people come here because it's a huge part of the visitor experience. And when people visit us here in the museum, as many tours do, they have their experience through a guided tour and afterwards they have an Irish coffee making demo and they can also have Irish coffee tastings. The museum is opened right through from March until November from half nine until 5pm and then June, July and August in the summer months it's opened until 6pm and we do recommend that last visits are one hour before closing. So you advise at least one hour to really enjoy everything that's here? Yes, yeah. And at the end of the visit then there's a lovely cafe for yes, people to yeah. have some refreshments yeah, in. Yeah. So at the end of the visit, we have our restaurant, which is called O'Regan's after Brendan O'Regan. And here we have a beautiful lunch menu. And um, we also have our Irish coffee lounge and a souvenir shop. You're closing at the end of November for the Christmas break. So there's still time for people, maybe if they wanted to buy, it would make a lovely gift to get a, a gift voucher for here for somebody. Absolutely, Sharon. We do sell gift vouchers and it would be a lovely gift to somebody who has that interest in aviation and and of course, Hollywood Lamb and all of that. And actually, our museum does close in November and does reopen in March next year. However, our restaurant known as O'Regan's Restaurant, which is our museum restaurant, that will remain open throughout the winter season. We opened it last year and it was a successful year. So it will remain open this year. So if anyone would like to pop in and buy a voucher for the museum as a gift for someone this Christmas, they can come into O'Regan's Restaurant. It's open Tuesday to Friday from half nine until four. And if they want to get inspiration in terms of what is here in the museum, all they have to do is look at the window in Brown Thomas and Grafton Street. Absolutely. We were so lucky this year. We had a huge PR uh, promotion with Brown Thomas in Grafton Street in Dublin and the team came down to the museum and told us how their Christmas window theme for this year will be based on Hollywood romance and the Orienton Express and the Polar Express and the creative team came to visit us here at the museum and told us how they would love and be interested in having Maureen O'Hara's gowns from our Hollywood days shown on their Christmas window display. So if you happen to be in Dublin, pop up to Brown Thomas on Grafton Street and have a look at the windows because all of the items there on the Christmas window displays are belong to the Maureen O'Hara collection. And what a great way to, to get the message out there about the museum because I think there's something really special about the Brown Thomas window at Christmas. Absolutely and even just standing in front of it and looking at that Christmas window you are so invited into that Orient and Express Hollywood era theme and it's lovely to look at and it's wonderful here for the museum to have our name up on Brown Thomas's windows with Maureen O'Hara's gowns on display. Now you said earlier it's your 30th anniversary. That's right it was our 30th anniversary in July and we also celebrated the 80th anniversary of the first transatlantic passenger flight so it's 30 years since Maureen O'Hara officially opened the museum. We had a huge birthday celebration here and as I said we celebrated the 80th passenger flight as well so it was a lovely celebration and Maureen was remembered very fondly. 
We do offer package deals for, for groups over 10 people or more. There's um, special rates and special offers that they can do. They can either have a visit, a visit an Irish coffee demo, they can have a visit an Irish coffee tasting, or what's becoming extremely popular now is that people come and they do their visit and they make their own Irish coffee in the group. So it's a real hands-on experience. So it's like stepping back in time and tasting the history and really, really leaving finds with great memories. I'd say people really love that. They love it. It's a hands-on experience and they love it. They get to come in, they get the knowledge of the whole aviation side of things. They love Maureen O'Hara's clothes and her memorabilia and then to have that hands-on experience of creating and making their own Irish coffee just like Chef Joe Sheridan did back in 1943 and we always have great reviews because they leave finds with good memories and great experiences. If people want to find out more information about us here in the Fines Flying Boat Museum, they can log on to our website www.finesflyingboatmuseum.com and we are also on social media on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Fantastic. Well, Caroline, it's been great to, to be here again today because it's been a while since I've been here and definitely back onto the list of places to visit in 2020. So thanks so much for having me. And definitely do come back, Sharon, in 2020 because our new Maureen O'Hara wing will be built. It's scheduled to be opened on Maureen's centenary in August 2020. So lots more celebrations to look forward to in 2020. Lots more celebrations to look forward to. Fantastic. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard all about the current facilities and plans for 2020 at the Foynes Flying Boats Museum thanks to Caroline Horgan. Well worth a visit and they have a fabulous winter themed menu in O'Regan's restaurant which features locally sourced ingredients. If you're just tuning in now, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Next, we're off to Cork to meet Aoife Dean. Aoife is a dietitian and has some great advice about how our mindset affects our eating habits. And as Christmas approaches and temptation surrounds us, she has some great advice about how to enjoy the festive season without the guilt. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Aoife, it's great to be with you here in your studio in Cork. You have an amazing business that I have availed of of late. But before we get into that, just tell us a bit about you and your background. Where are you from, for example? So I'm from West Cork. I'm from Drimaleague. Um, And my background, well, I've been a dietitian now for over 10 years. So I kind of followed my best friend to Edinburgh. <laughs> so that was, that was how I kind of got into it first. But no, I knew I wanted to work in healthcare and food 
food but also I had struggled with my weight like I think most of my life so like a lot of people my parents were dieting growing up they were doing their best I suppose to sort out their weight so from a very early age say around 11 I knew my Weight Watchers points I knew everything that Unislim had to offer everything Ann Collins had to offer all all the greats so um, it it became, you know, just probably like a lot of people, a bit of an obsession to try and get slim. And like a lot of people too, I wasn't even overweight when I started dieting. That's that's the problem. So anyways, all of that was a factor in becoming a dietitian. And so I trained and qualified in Edinburgh and then worked in the UK in the NHS and in private practice. But unfortunately, knowing all the nutrition in the world still didn't really help me with overeating and binge eating because I always kind of say that it doesn't matter how much it doesn't matter like if you know the iron content of broccoli it doesn't really stop you from eating Doritos so do you know <laughs> like the in-depth nutritional knowledge and everything I had learned um, hadn't helped me that much so I also went down the holistic path then of like um, a lot of um, coaching and um, personal development and things like I got um, I'm a qualified NLP practitioner trained a lot with Tony Robbins and and mindful eating and I'm a hypnotherapist and all these other things and they were actually what sorted things for me. So now I work with a range of clients but I have to say my favorite clients (laughs) are the ones that felt as hopeless as I did. The ones that I was like oh my body is against me, my metabolism is awful, I'm taking after the fat side of the family and you know all those kind of defeating things that we say to ourselves and yet again there's no amount of diet books that you can read and do if in the background of your mind all that is going on. I'm fairly confident now that there are people listening who can totally relate to your story about struggling with weight, going to various different slimming clubs etc and as you have often told me over the past few months we are surrounded by fabulous food every day and we shouldn't have to deprive ourselves of that so it is so much to do with the mind isn't it? It completely is because when you think about it you know you've been there I've been there we've sedated ourselves with overeating you know we're like lethargic we can't fit into our clothes you know so we're so low energy all the rest of it and yet we're still seeing the buns thinking ah you know I've had a hard day and I need a reward and it's like we're basically getting immobile because of thinking this guy is a reward so we've kind of um maintained or maybe grandparents outlook to food that might have been in Ireland or wherever you know a hundred years ago but now we're in a very different world now it's very hard to introduce actual food into your day stuff that's not processed stuff that doesn't really interact with the body or feed it or fuel it so the whole idea that it's a reward is so flawed and even like I was saying to you if you decide to not bother with the bread you know when you're having a meal out like um you know if you're in diet mode you're going to think like oh my god I'm being so good I'm being so good I'm going to try now and not eat bread for the next month but Really, the reality is there'll be more bread later. You don't need to make a commitment to definitely always eat bread or definitely never eat bread. You don't need to, you know, um, yeah, to to basically make your decision now. And that's kind of what throws people off. And then, of course, if you say that, you're making those things an extra reward. 
you know, you're making them forbidden. And one of the elements of your approach that really struck me was that we're kind of conditioned that you eat breakfast in the morning, you eat lunch at a certain time, you eat dinner, and then you have a couple of snacks in between. But that's not how you approach it. You're very much about listening to your body. Mm. Yeah, well, I think we can't have it all. So you can kind of take advice, dietary advice that's suitable for the 50s and then live in a world where there's Deliveroo and, you know, Irish weddings where we consume 2,000 calories, Christmas Day where we consume like 7,000 calories on average. So you can't be kind of taking the old advice for a modern world. So that might have been hunky-dory if um, breakfast was only at a certain time and then you were out doing hard work in the fields until lunch and then you were out doing hard work again until dinner. But that's not the case. Now you could be kind of consuming all the time and sitting down all the time. So you could kind of have your breakfast at home, get a coffee and something on your drive in. Then there's biscuits when you get into work, have a few of them, graze your way to lunch. Like it's socially acceptable to eat continuously now. And equally at the same time, we're not moving. So I think there's um, some studies said that um, most people in the UK anyways, are expending just slightly more energy than if they were lying in bed all day. Because if you think about it, if your car is parked right next to your house and you're just going from your car to your office seat, to your car, to the sofa, Netflix, that's like not that different from just staying asleep. So, um, so yeah, so to go back to your original question, it's that if we have eaten, you know, what our body would see as maybe a day and a half's food yesterday evening when we got maybe a takeaway or we had friends over or we were staying in a lovely hotel and we had a big three course meal. Um, well, then your body doesn't need food then the next morning and it will tell you that like you're not going to probably be ravenous all day. And so this is where nutrition sometimes has nothing to do with weight loss. Because, you know, people can be like, oh my God, I had such a healthy breakfast and such a healthy lunch. You know, I had like um, apples and fruits and muesli and yogurt. And then so for lunch, I had like quinoa and all this stuff. And you're like, oh, well, to be fair, you could have had, you could have had a fun size Mars bar or a few of them. It would have been less calories. And also the point, the point was your body didn't need anything. It didn't ask you for anything. So I think it's a bit like if you were in Croatia in 30 degrees and you wanted to put on a woolly jumper, it's like your body would be like, okay, this is uncomfortable and I didn't ask you for this. So we have to think it's the same with food. Our body will tell us when we need it and when it's not saying anything, we probably don't. And talk to me about polite calories because that's <laughs> something else that we're confronted with day in and day out. I am totally facing up to the polite calories and saying <laughs> no more polite calories. I know. Well, I think actually like life is too short and once you start working by your appetite, you re realise how small it is. And like if you really want to be a food lover, that means that like you'll need your body and your brain on your side to get all the reward signals going when you eat. And your body is only gonna reward you for eating when you need it. And that's why when we're very overfed and very overweight, the only things that we want to start eating now are higher salt, higher sugar, higher fat, because we're trying to get that hit. We're like junkies. Whereas, um, so if your body's kind of in balance, if you're hungry before meals, then you taste something and it tastes glorious. So 
we don't want to use up our small appetites and by the way everyone I've worked with has a far smaller appetite than they gave themselves credit for especially when they came to me telling me that you know their genes are wrong and they're from the fat side of the family and all the stories I told myself but it means that if you go to um, a neighbor's house and they make the worst apple tart but god love her she's an old lady and you don't want <laughs> you don't want to be rude it's like you know, I suppose there's a time for some polite calories, but doing it all the time is 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 just, you know, it's it's actually it's kind of a boundary thing as well. So people who really care about feeling good and kind of prioritize themselves in a non-selfish way, because, of course, when you feel good, you can make others feel good. Um, it will just be a no. It's like, and I also kind of said, like I might have said to you as well, that it's all about the standards you keep for yourself. So if you had diarrhea and someone offered you something and you, you wouldn't be rude. You just be like, that will make me very uncomfortable. So it's a no. So now it's just that we have to up our standards in terms of like, do you know what? Feeling overfed and over fat and having a tight waistband. I don't like that feeling and I'm not willing to do that for anyone. So this is a no. And I think there's a lot of feeders out there who want to feed other people and there's an obligation there for them to be a bit more conscious of that and if, and to respect what somebody else is trying to do in their life and if that is to lose weight, just to take a step back and not be trying to shove on or just have one piece of cake or just have one biscuit. Just let them lead the life that they want to live. Well, I think with with all of this you see how a lot of stuff people do it's their issues not yours because another thing is is that the people who comment on your weight will always comment on your weight so you'll always be either too fat or too thin to them because weight problems are on their radar because of their issues and equally the people who don't have issues won't notice when you lose two or three stone that much or to be fair they won't care because they don't judge people on weight like people with weight problems tend to do about themselves and others so yeah you do just have to do what makes you happy basically with that one you know if they're being feeders that's because I do think there's probably people with issues especially people who can be on the skinny side or um or also you're their skinny friend and they kind of they get some kind of buzz out of giving you food to know um so yeah you want to stay away from all of that as an advocate for nutrition healthy eating and being your best self you offer that advice in your consultancy practice but you also spend time out and about in schools mm. what are the key messages that you deliver whenever you're in a school talking to uh, a number of young people well schools are a really difficult one um as are all nutritional talks because people tend to link nutrition with weight and weight tends to be I would say most of the time more psychological so you're being quite patronizing if you start off like oh fat people don't eat vegetables or you know whatever I think it's a very very dangerous ground um so I suppose I I would come at it from the whole being kind to yourself because I think that's the easiest way to go about it because we want to allow ourselves the capability, especially probably as kids and teenagers, to like run faster and excel at sports and be able to like do well in tests and have kind of clarity and, you know, um, a clear mind when you're studying and not being in a like sugar coma and a 
carb haze and you know all these things that we can kind of feel when we're really overeating things so it's about giving yourself the best shot basically it is a very sensitive time for young people when they're teenagers like weight and appearance and everything they're they're much more into it than you would be say at my age do you find that there's more of an awareness there now than there was whenever you were at school in terms of healthy eating and the good mood food because more of them are into sport and the diet and the sport go hand in hand now where they might not have done 10, 20, 30 years ago? Yeah, totally. The only thing is, um, <clears throat> I suppose they need to be because they're in a very different environment. Like, do you know, I kind of think of, say, in my parents' time or my grandparents' time, it's like, you couldn't even be binge eaters. Like, what were you going to have? Jam and bread. Like, you'd get bored of that pretty quick. Whereas we're in a very different environment where stuff is cheap and it's everywhere and it's gorgeous. So you probably do need to have your wits about you. So they're, they're lucky in that respect. The only thing is, I suppose, with Instagram and everything... Um, there's so much nutritional advice out there and you know Netflix movies and you know movies about like oh my god the conspiracy about meat or the conspiracy about carbs or so you're left with nothing because <laughs> you know you could find a movie about anything like the conspiracy about fats proteins or carbohydrate and they're like literally the only three nutrients macronutrients that we eat so um, and so that's that's kind of the problem they're up against as well. There's so much conflicting information. And um, I actually don't post really any nutritional information on, on any social media I do. And, you know, I think people is like, are like, is she actually a dietitian? But it's just I'm very sensitive about the hands that that information gets into. Because when I was a binge eater and three stone heavier and um, had a terrible mindset about my weight and myself, in a way, nutrition was just the vehicle. You know, it's kind of like um, an alcoholic studying breweries. <laughs> you know, I was like, it was never going to fix it. Um, so I would, you know like just sieve the internet for nutritional information and then take it up all wrong. So take it up all wrong in terms like, oh my God, so bread is so bad for you. And, um, you know, and oh my God, fats are so bad for you and saturated fats are so bad for you. And then I was left at a stage where like on top of the degree learning about, you know, all the different diets you can have for the different disease states, by the time all of that was, you know, coagulated in my head, it was like there was nothing left to eat that I didn't feel guilty about, do you know? And also, I had terrible anxiety with food. Like, um, you know, I say it to my patients often, I know no consultant would ever, like, agree with me, but I think I actually gave myself IBD, like irritable bowel disease, because I used to actually imagine eating stuff and it rotting my insides. So if I was eating saturated fat or red meat, I'd be like, oh my God, this is so bad for me. And like, oh, I must be doing such awful stuff for my insides. And like, that is what my... um some of my clients come in with first day like they're actually living in a state of terror about food because they've read so much diet books and then you're like health and biology are so far away <laughs> from some of that dietary information like in order for your your body to feel well and to feel good and stuff that is a world away from restrictive diets and all those super detailed and scaremongering approaches it's got nothing to do with it and is it true that you find yourself one day sitting on the couch with a toaster 
and a loaf of bread beside you. <laughs> that was actually in like fifth year leaving, sir. Yeah. So like this is the whole thing. Like we 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 sometimes we can't put words to what's wrong or whatever. But like I suppose part of it was that I'm the youngest of five, and all my brothers and sisters went away to college, and so what I was probably experiencing was, you know, it was like oh my mood has dropped. And like basically that that goes with everyone when we don't know what we're doing. We're basically using food to self-medicate because we don't know what else to do. And we're not even like, I don't think it was even a big deal. I was just kind of, you know, doing it, you know, and that's like a lot of people. It's kind of mindless eating. So, yeah, I thought it would be quicker rather than running from, you know, the sitting room to the kitchen over and over. I thought it would be better if I just put the toaster next to me when I was watching Sex in the City and I had the butter as well and had the knife and I was ready to go. I, th- I think I think 12, 11, 12 slices was my max and that was after mom's dinner. <laughs> so you have walked the walk so it's fair that you can talk the talk now and when somebody comes to you here, when a, when a patient comes to you here in your, your practice, just talk us through the format of what the consultation and the the format of of what you offer them um it basically depends on who i work with because i've um i've i've clients that kind of there's a whole spectrum you know about guilt about her weight and her eating and i do have some people and they are like the holy grail that i tell other clients about because you know i'm i'm pretty much like that now too but these are the people that are like ah you know what like life got busy i ate a bit more put on some weight, so what? Now I'm here to sort it out. And like, not a remote, like, dip in their confidence, not an iota of judgment about themselves, nothing. They're like, stuff happened, I ate more, result, now I wanna change the result, done, end of. Then I have other clients that it will be, um, it will be a kind of, the initial program will be all about sorting out the fear and anxiety about their body and their food. And some people are in a very chronic place because it's been going on for decades. Um, And so initially we'd kind of have the food and mindset plan, but depending on the rate of like overeating, binge eating, history with weight and stuff, the food plan mightn't be appropriate at all to start off with because they've done a thousand food plans and sure, they're just gonna come at it with the same thing. And that's something I'm so wary of. And I have like suggested to clients that like, you know, if, if we're not working a little differently here, it may be best to just end the program because I have no intention of being an expensive slimming world. I have no intention of someone jumping in here like you know okay let's jump on the scales and like let's hope it's amazing so then I can like myself and then if it isn't they'll hate themselves and they'll restrict I'm like not on my watch you know like not at all because like I've been there personally so I've got no intention of you know causing that pain for someone else basically and as a dietitian as well the the whole kind of thing we sign up to as healthcare professionals is like do not cause harm so if I'm forcing someone who's not mentally well enough on a strict diet and then getting them on a scales every week, that's that's causing harm, a lot of psychological harm in the long run. So it's, I suppose, a heavy support program for those who need it. And like like others, absolutely, they just, they need some clarity on nutrition. Um, they need all, they need to know all the stuff to unlearn in nutrition. I think that's the biggest job I do. I'm not teaching people, I'm telling them all the stuff that isn't true. And um, then we go from there. 
You have a monthly newsletter that people can sign up for, whether, yes. regardless of, of whether they're clients or not. Yeah. And you're going to launch a podcast in the coming months. Tell us about that. Well, I have a lot to say on the matter. And I'd say sometimes even, especially like, say, um, someone like yourself now, who who gets what I'm saying and, and they're kind of living it. So it's all grand. Um, but I would have some maintenance clients that I'm still chewing their ear off because now they're like, buddies with me you know they get it I get it I can talk about it all day so I've just got a lot to say on the matter and also I do think there's a lot of people in darkness around the whole weight um and kind of weight diet self-love all of that stuff so I've I've lots to say on the matter so yeah I'd like to put out a podcast on it and cover cover the main issues basically Fantastic. Well, you'll keep us posted about that. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. It's going to be on my website. My website's ifadeen.com. I'm also on Facebook and social media at ifadeen dietitian. And yeah, so um, my website's being done up at the moment, but um, you'll hear all the news about my podcast. And I'm also going to be doing events before Christmas and after Christmas in Cork. Super. Well, we look forward to all of that. In the meantime, best of luck with it. And thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks for having me. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's programme we heard all about the current facilities and plans for 2020 at the Flying Boats Museum in Foynes, thanks to Caroline Horgan. And just before the break, dietitian Aoife Dean gave us inspiration about how to change our mindset when it comes to our eating habits. And Aoife is holding an event on Saturday the 23rd of November in Cork. It's called A Food Lover's Guide to Christmas and if you check her social media platforms you'll find all the details there. If you're just tuning in now, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks for listening and to my guests, Caroline Horgan and Aoife Dean. I'll be back with news from the north next week, all being well. So until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.